0: Dublin's electricity system needs an upgrade. Our population is growing, and our energy usage is too. That's why Airgrid, state-owned operator of Ireland's electricity transmission grid, is powering up Dublin. We're shaping Dublin's electricity future, upgrading underground cables to future-proof our power system and bring more renewable energy onto the grid. Find out more at airgrid.ie forward Dublin. Airgrid, delivering a cleaner energy future. Joanna Fortune joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Good afternoon. Uh, here's the first question. I'm having issues with my 11-year-old son. He's an only child and, as you can imagine, gets all our attention. My husband and son are as thick as thieves and I feel totally surplus to requirements. I am the person who cooks, cleans and finds things. He hangs on to his father's every word and I feel he is totally mimicking his father's mannerisms. And more alarmingly, his not-so-PC opinions. He's becoming more and more dismissive and rude towards me. And I know he feels his behaviour will go unchallenged by his dad. His father has no insight or overview of how the child is behaving. and constantly undermines my parenting. I'm overwhelmed by having to be the bad cop all the time, while his dad gets to do the fun stuff. I'm so upset about this and don't know what the point of me is in our family. Any advice would be great. Oh my gosh, is this parenting or... There marriage
1: so much and you know it's so interesting you say that because the main issue there's a number of threads in this in this letter but the one that jumps out above all others is that line his father has no insight and constantly undermines my parenting because that's the issue
0: yeah, yeah. that
1: is the issue we, i've said here before about how children really take their social emotional behavioral cues from their key caregivers, their, you know, their parents, grandparents, teachers, the important adults in their lives. And so you've got to address this not through your son, but for your son and on behalf of your son. And, you know, if you take it at the surface level, it's actually not unusual for a child to show preference for one parent over another. And it does not mean they love one parent more or they don't love Mm. the non-preferred parent. And often it switches. You know, it can be one parent for a period of time. And then all of a sudden it's the other parent who, oh, I'm really into this parent now. And it's usually because children can be quite egocentric in development for a number of years, maybe a lot of years. But, you know, what's happening is, you know, what energy is most aligned with where I'm at and what I need right now. And if that's, you know, who's going to get me outside and rough and tumble or who's going to do nurturing and minding me, it can switch on a daily basis, a weekly basis. Children are very good at getting their needs met. So if it was simply that, I would have one kind of answer, but it's really not in this letter. You know, I feel like when you say he's an only child, so he gets all of our attention. That's also something I want a flag children do not need all of your attention in fact it's not good for them to yeah. have all of your attention Part of that is about that they want to work to get that connection with you, but they have to see that you have interests outside of them as well and a life outside of them. It helps with people permanence. We've talked about that before, but it also helps them to see that everybody is important, valued, and valuable in the family. Mm. That it isn't actually all about them. Yes, you know, so they're not going to say, "Please, I'd rather it not be all about me." But it actually isn't in their interests. I thought, you know, when I was listening to you read that out about, you know, dad is you you know, the child is hanging on his every word and mirroring his... I thought that might be quite nice for dad too. Like that is quite flattering, isn't it? You know, I'm the one that this kid looks up to and loves. So there is that bit of him going, it actually doesn't serve me to change this. I do enjoy this. But it's in everybody's interest that everybody in the family is respected and is happy and is content. Because otherwise, if one person isn't, the whole dynamic is off. And Mm. that's really important. I think that you need two nights out of the house and away from everyone per week. Pick a class, anything, anything. Go for a walk, doesn't matter. Go get out that you have a thing that is yours for you, of you and you protect it, you respect it and you safeguard it and you say I'm off to do my thing and you just go and do it. And if it's but what are we having for dinner? You've two very capable
0: Yes. You know,
1: people that you are living with and they will find an answer and a solution because if nothing changes here, then nothing changes. Mm. So that change may have to be instigated by by the parent writing in by mum. I do think that the whole good cop, bad cop thing is worth a special mention because good cop, bad cop parenting is bad for everyone everyone in the family. It doesn't serve anyone well. Mm. It teaches children very quickly that they can split between you and that in itself will create tension and a power struggle where that power struggle does not need to be. Um, It will also create confusion and uncertainty for children which then can bubble up as anxiety or other stress-related symptoms. And Above that and alongside that, it will create resentment and tension in the adult relationship. So it's not in anyone's interest. It's very hard on parents and children. It feels like your partner is pushing you into a role that you don't want to be in and that will hurt your relationship. So there's a number of layers to this letter mm. um, coming in. And it's not just about your son showing preferential treatment to his father. It's what you guys are doing with and around that overt seeming preference, I think you need to make sure there's opportunities for shared joy and family fun. Be that a movie night, be that make your own pizza or here's a bowl of ice cream and lots of toppings. Let's design our own desserts. Something fun that you can do together that you will enjoy. Have a laugh. It it might be getting outside for a hike. It might be getting the bikes out. It depends on what is relevant to your family. But there needs to be something each week that you are doing together collaboratively in a connected and fun way. That in itself isn't going to solve this because that in itself is not the only issue here. Yeah. There are multiple issues. I think, you know, I think it was last week, Sean, we were talking about parents who were differing about the circumcision question with the baby. And we were talking about how it can be really helpful to create a safe, protected, structured space to have uncomfortable conversations in a more comfortable way. That really applies here, too, because you're going to have to sit down as a couple and say, hey, this isn't working. It's not working for me. Therefore, it's not working for this family. We have to get back to basics and agree key points in parenting your child that you do agree on, that you are aligned on and start from there.
0: It sounds like though there's a bit of a lack of respect from the husband towards... It really does. ...the wife.
1: Yeah, no, it really does. And you've got an 11-year-old boy at a very impressionable age in that middle childhood when children are really pulling away from Mm. parents as key influencers and seeking to reinforce something from their peers. And I really think that you have to be careful your son doesn't begin to seek reinforcing this kind of attitude or mentality from peers as well. This is the time to call it and nip it in the bud.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Good luck with that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely good luck with that. Right. So, so but so the first part of call should really be the husband. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: it's about saying I respect myself enough mm. to demand and expect more respect from my yeah. partner, from my child. This isn't going to continue like this.
0: Yeah. Right, next question is this. My son and his friends are at the age when they're starting to experiment with alcohol. My husband thinks I should turn a blind eye to this and let our son and his friends do it, as my husband was introduced to alcohol in a similar way. He also thinks that it's a rite of passage for our son... I wonder, is this the same couple as before? <laughs> However, I feel a little uncomfortable not supervising him. I don't want to cause a fight with my son by bringing this issue up with him. What should I do? I'm always puzzled by the phrase experiment with alcohol. because so am I. It doesn't take much experimenting to figure out what it does, really. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and, wh- and when you say experiment, that's really about pushing limits, isn't yeah. it? It's about testing the limits. Test it. Where's the breaking point? Where's the point? Which is always about excess. Yeah. And that's a worry. Yeah. And now, I, we don't know how old this teenager is. So mm. I do want to flag, if you're teenage son is starting to show interest and want to go drinking with friends and they're 17 and a half is different if they're 14. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Both are underage. But there is a difference in how we would approach it. Mm. So I'm assuming this is a younger age teenager. That's my inference here. And in general, look, no matter how old this boy is, when you're saying, you know, my husband thinks that you should turn a blind eye. I'm certainly not going to advocate turning a blind eye in any aspect of parent-child relationship because this isn't something that you can just pretend not to know because you do know it. So actually, you're just subscribing to Mm, I know you're doing something I'm deeply uncomfortable with, but I'm just going to really bite my tongue on that and pretend I'm not. It's very clear that you are uncomfortable. Yeah. I also think when it comes to any issue, alcohol, anything that involves experimentation, that could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be, you know, music. It could be fashion. It could be taste. It could be sex. It could be whatever it is. Open, clear lines of communication are crucial. So turning a blind eye does not work and actually creating a situation of I'm aware that you're curious about alcohol. I'm aware that you're starting to drink with your friends and it's something that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I'm not going to come in and forbid and ban. Maybe that is what you want to do. Maybe it isn't. But regardless having an open conversation is essential and I'm just also struck here Sean when it, you know this parent is saying I don't want to cause a fight with my son by bringing this issue up. I'm curious about that. why would it cause a fight as the parent like mm. why would it cause a fight that you have to bring something up or call your child on a behaviour you're not comfortable with or a transgression that isn't you know something that's acceptable in your family and you know the whole thing about it being a rite of passage again I'm going to challenge that because research just doesn't back that up you know the research um, and the There's plenty of research in this area, it just doesn't back up that allowing our children to drink with us means they will never binge drink with friends or have a problem with alcohol. The research doesn't back it up. He's at an age of risk taking behavior, of impulsive reward seeking behavior. And if you say you can drink this amount with me, that doesn't mean he's not going to say, I'll drink more when I'm not with you. That's just not the way the teenage brain works. So I think you have to have a really open, honest conversation. You really want to talk about safety and about risks. You want to be honest that it's going to feel fun at the beginning. I think if we say it's going to be horrific and you're going to be sick and your child does have alcohol and go, you are lying. This actually feels good. Then they don't trust your message. So you can say, look, you could drink after a couple of drinks. You might feel really happy, merry. There might be a positive feeling, but it's short lived. And if you could continue drinking, how you feel, how you behave, how you think, your judgment, all of that is impaired and you'll feel miserable the next day. Talk about how it can get messy, how it can get dangerous, the health risks, skin risks, your skin will change or if he's in sports, how it might affect performance, things like that. Be, that's all honest. You know, mm, it sounds like mm. it's really negative scaremongering, but it's honest stuff and having that conversation. And if You're saying you don't want him to drink alcohol and bear in mind he is underage. Then that's your parenting message. No, this isn't okay. I don't want you doing this. And I I think that that's something that's really important. But the supervising him, I've inferred from that you you mean drinking in your house under your supervision. I'm just going to tell you that that's not the answer. If you're uncomfortable, name that you're uncomfortable. Name why. What are your fears? What are your concerns? Always think about what are the facts? What are my beliefs? What did I grow up with versus what his other parent grew up with? And what are my fears? Because those are going to underpin the conversation. But a conversation needs to happen.
0: Uh, but, you know, the fa- the way the, uh, uh, the father is saying um, he, he was introduced to alcohol in a similar way and it's a rite of passage. It's behind that is there a, I don't want to appear to be a hypocrite or is it integral if you're if you're parenting teenagers that you have to be a hypocrite
1: I would think the latter I mean there has to be a bit like that you're not you're open and honest and you're developmentally appropriate that's what we always say and you can share some of your mistakes look when I was your age I did drink with friends and some nights were great fun and you know what some nights I got really out of control and mm. I have a lot of regrets and a lot of risks and there was dangerous things that happened you can have those open honest conversations and you're not a hypocrite but you're telling it like it is from your adult perspective how it felt at the time and how it was now and i think sometimes we have a rose-tinted view retrospectively of going sure look at it was fine yeah actually bring to mind some of those nights out from when you were younger and examine now how fine were they really or is it sheer luck that nothing went terribly wrong oh yeah
0: yeah yeah i i i (laughs) I have that feeling every day. <laughs> <laughs> a few of
1: those might come to our minds as yeah. we hear that. Uh, uh,
0: yeah. Porrick says, My parents completely forbade me, in inverted commas, from drinking before I was 18. But I found out much later that they had been aware from the get-go that another parent was allowing us to drink unsupervised in their house and had okayed it. It worked really well because it w- allowed me to a safe space while I also thought that drinking was something I should be really cautious about doing too much. Uh... Mm. Kind of, yeah, having, t- yeah, t- yeah. T- I'd
1: still prefer your parents to have a conversation with you about why are we forbidding it? If you just forbid something and you don't say why, facts, beliefs, fears, it doesn't mean your child is going to go, oh, thanks for that. Now I'm completely on your side, but you're at least sharing What's motivating, you're forbidding.
0: Yeah, and uh, there is a few comments on, on the 11-year-old uh, who favours his dad. Unfortunately, most of them aren't to do with parenting. Uh, they're to do with the relationship between the parents. Like one of them, for instance, yeah. mentions custody arrangements. So you get the gist of where they're going. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We do have to take a break. After that, a little girl doesn't want to wear her communion dress. Five three one zero oh, six is our text number that will cost you thirty cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk you on a Fortune. It's still with us. Uh, next question is this: My daughter is making her communion soon. She's now telling me that she does not want to wear the white dress we bought for her. Instead, she said she would like to wear a suit, as she saw her godmother doing that at a recent wedding. I don't want her friends to ridicule my daughter for looking different to them. Neither do I want the parents of other children to think that it's stupid and that we encouraged it. We don't know where this has come from. What should I do?
1: I mean, honestly, the desire to fit in is the parents, not the child's here. okay, Mm. Just to call it on that. And I'm really interested in what, you know, listeners who might be going through or have gone through the communion process would think about this. Because for me, it doesn't or shouldn't matter what she wears to this. If you know, I would look at this in a different way. You know, yours you don't want her friends to ridicule her for looking different to them. Have you considered maybe she would like to look different from her friends? And maybe that's part of what's motivating her. And she's perfectly comfortable with doing something that's a bit different. And you know, she might want to look and feel like herself in an outfit that she's very comfortable in. She may have seen her aunt at the wedding and maybe people complimented her aunt on the outfit choice and was like, God, this is great. You look cool. This is. And she was like, yeah, I could do that. Mm. So on that way, I wouldn't assume she needs or wants or it's in her best interest to blend in and fit in with her peers if that's not something she's pursuing. And in terms of what the parents of other children would think of your parenting, Ask and answer. Ask yourself, but then make sure you do answer this question as well. Why does that matter to you? Mm -hmm. You know, because it does matter. So that's not a judgment. It's more a reflection. Why does it matter to you? And really, are parents of other children going to be concerned with what other children are wearing when they're very focused on their own Mm -hmm. on that day in particular? I think get back to basics as to why you want her to make her communion. You know, the religious aspects, the 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 right that it is, um you know all of those parts, and do that you ultimately i'm assuming want her to be happy and comfortable and engaged in the ceremony like there can be an element of pageantry to some of this about it's all about the look and the aesthetic and the outfit when really it doesn't need to be. It really doesn't. So if you're listening and feeling, no, Joanna, it does need to be. It really does need to be. Well, I mean, people
0: make communion for different reasons. Absolutely.
1: And that's okay. But be honest with yourself about why. And maybe that's why the dress and the conformity does matter so much. Mm. Because I think sit with her. You're also saying that you bought the dress for her. I'm wondering, was she part of that? Was the dress bought with her? You know, did she get to see it or choose it? And again, I'm not saying bring a child into a shop and say, (laughs) Anything you want is fine. There has to be obviously budgetary and style and whatever you deem appropriate. But if this was just about she wants to wear a suit and she's perfectly happy to make her communion and she understands everything involved in it and it's just how she wants to appear and that is an appropriate choice of what you, you know, there's nothing wrong Mm. with her wearing a suit, I'm assuming. Yeah. And why not? But if you have a strong feeling about this, own it as yours and tell her it's very important to you that she does wear this dress. See if she will wear it on that basis and that she can wear the suit or outfit of her choice as soon as the ceremony is complete and you're back home or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I a think lot of children daughter... want to take those dresses off and into tracksuits or whatever yeah. later anyway.
0: Uh, but I, like, th- you know. I think the child is great. Oh, you uh, have. No, not I don't, go, wow, she's fantastic. How not see is the issue with yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, uh, and she's already kind of got kind of a sense of herself. That's
1: Absolutely. And that she's able to state it. Yeah. I think at that age, that's really something that she's able to say, that isn't me. I think this is more me and this is where I'd feel comfortable. And I know this about myself and I'm able to say it. And I don't see the issue with it. Yeah. But if it it is an issue in the family, just have a think about why is this an issue? whose issue is it and
0: own it from there. My eight-year-old daughter used to have an imaginary friend when she was younger. The friend has recently come back into her life and indeed apparently into the house again. I thought she had left this phase behind her. I think she is now too old to have an imaginary friend. How do I support her through this?
1: I mean, she's not too old, just to kind of say that hmm. from the outset. Three to 11 years old is typically the imaginary friend window. There will always be exceptions to that. There will always be someone going, I was 12 or my child was 12. And actually, children as young as two and a half can develop hmm. an imaginary friend. So there is nothing in terms of she's too old for that I don't tend to think in that anyway because yeah. it's about developmental age over chronological and I also think just put this in the context of you know COVID and the changes that children have experienced the loss of actual friends for a prolonged period yes, of time the yeah. stop start to mm-hmm. friendships returning to school are all of her peers there did some move are they in pods was there a, a mix up in classes you know the way some schools will rejig classes if they've multiple classes for each year you know what level of change has she been experiencing yeah. and how might this be a support for her I mean imaginary friends emerge from imaginative play and um, they can be entirely imagined or they can be based on a book or a TV show character. they can be constant or they can come and go depending on what's happening. and I think what's really interesting to think about is that what an imaginary friend offers your child because your child is in charge of this friend you know that that's very appealing to children who are Mm. in charge of so little in their lives. This friend is special. It belongs solely to them. Only they know everything about the friend. That's very empowering. And this friend won't ever judge your child, Mm. um, will play and support them in any way that your child's imagination deems appropriate. I think what you can do is, you know, be curious, interested and playful about this. And you can put a boundary on it. Like you could suggest the friend stay at home if you want, don't want her going to school if it's a distraction if actually yeah, the friend going yeah. to school is helpful leave it alone but if the friend going is a distraction or if you'd like to say we're going swimming your friend needs to stay at home and we'll see your friend when we're back from swimming small separations you could do that but how your child is speaking about their imaginary friend can actually tell you so much about how they're feeling themselves yeah, what yeah. they're thinking about it can give you great insights into their inner world their likes their dislikes so I would always go down the route of curiosity, playfulness, interest hold a boundary. Like if your child is in trouble and they're like, oh, it wasn't me. It was the imaginary Mm -hmm. friend or you need to give out to the imaginary friend. Then you can say, I'm not actually interested in discussing this with your imaginary friend. I don't believe it was them. I believe it was you. And I want to talk to you about this. So you can hold a boundary is what I'm saying. But Mm. if it's something that is not impeding on her life or interrupting her behavior or activities or engagement and seems to be soothing and comforting to her, I would leave it alone.
0: Yeah. Anyway, you can't be saying you're, you're too old. Your imaginary friend has to move out and get a place of her own. Uh, you can meet her at the weekends. On the communion issue, uh, a few comments on that. But one was we went through the same with our daughter. My husband was determined to get her into a dress. We compromised and she wore a top and pants that we got made that looked like a dress. The other kids loved it on the day and she was happy because it felt like a win to her. So uh, That's a really good compromise. Maybe something in like that. Now, my seven-year-old son is in junior school. Last year, some of the kids said his lunch was disgusting. Since then, he refuses to open his lunchbox in school. Hence, he goes without eating till school ends. His lunch contains just the usual, toasty and fruits and, say, carrot or cucumber. Your child is a marvel. Can I have him? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So, But there is that age... It's like there's a whole thing around lunch fashion. What kind of oh, lunchbox you have? The lunch drinking utensils. the oh box is in. God, and all yeah. of
1: the, it really is. And what's in the lunchbox is important. Is it something smelly? Is it something you know hot? Is it cold? What What does it aesthetically look like? Yeah. A lot of children at his age kind of go for the old bland. Ham, nothing wrong with a ham sandwich before anyone says that to me. You know, something bland though, a ham sandwich, a piece of fruit, a yogurt, a basic lunchbox and anything that's a bit different, a child who might bring leftover rice or pasta or some kind of, you know, egg muffiny thing in mm. their lunchbox or tuna it might be like, oh, what's that? And it's an yeah. oh, no feeling as a parent, because when your child eats well, that is such a, a really yeah. good feeling. So I think you have to express concern that he's, you know, going through his day and not eating what you're giving him to bring to school. You know, I like he's seven, like he needs to eat he to does, get through yeah. school. I think you could empathise, though, and say, oh, that must have been awful. You know, if people didn't like what you were bringing to school and that must have made you feel really bad. And, you know, why don't we work out a good lunch? But well, Tell me what your friends bring. Would you bring that? Let's, Because mm. they're not going to say anything if it's the exact same that they yes, have. Yeah. Because I think I would start by getting him to eat something and then gradually you can introduce whatever food actually was his preference to bring to school you can reintroduce that but establish first that he's eating just mark the teacher's card a bit because I know most schools will do at some point of the year a healthy eating week or a food awareness or food dudes or one of those kind of healthy promotional food weeks and your teacher might be able to work in about you know exciting to have different things in your lunchbox and how everybody brings different types of food. And I think as well when we're talking about diversity and inclusion, children from different cultural backgrounds will bring different types of foods and that's something we want all of our children to be aware that we don't comment on what people are eating. We don't comment on what's in their lunchbox. We just focus on what's in our own.
0: Yeah. Of course, there is a date, though, they, if they ask him, you know, what does everybody else, everybody else has fruits and chocolate. Uh, that's what they have. <laughs> oh,
1: but you know, the schools are so strict. I mean, they're so strict on lunch boxes and what can and can't go in. And so you can have an approve a pre-approved list that he can select from. You could do it that way and you could say it can be this and this and this. But he's actually taking some control of what's in the lunchbox and he could pack it up. He's seven. He's able to prepare a lunch.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's my uh, that's way around it. Uh, finally, Joe says... Uh, he had an imaginary friend. He says, I used to fight with my imaginary friend. I'm not sure what that says about me. Uh, well uh, That's a whole other day, <laughs> that's show That's a whole other Joe. day, Joe. Yeah, I hope the therapy's going <laughs> yeah. well. Uh, uh, Patricia, thanks for million as yeah. ever. Uh, uh, Patricia Fortune there, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Moncrief on News Talk.
1: Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank. Think again. The Grand Ireland Summer Fair is back. RDS Dublin on Wednesday the 8th of June. Join us on the day for real experiences, conversations and meetings with top employers, postgraduate providers, seminar speakers and career advisors. Don't miss out. Register now at griaron.com forward slash events.